Socrates. Hele game. Met de middelmaar Socrates. 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 Hey, we know that name. Yeah. Hey, look him up. Oh, it's under Socrates. Oh, yeah. Socrates. The only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing. That's us, dude. Oh, yeah. Let's bag him. Yeah. Hoshido, tes clepsidras, haipu, emon, emerai. How's it going? I'm Bill. This is Ted. We're from the future. Socrates. Mm. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with him. <clears throat> All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Dust, wind, dude. Ah, ah, he makes what an ano, blankoniotos. Ha, ha. Let's get ah. out of here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Dive right into it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, round and round goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome. More than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. Here is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It's already been done in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will uh, there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds 
that are done under the sun, and see, all is vanity, a chasing after the wind. All we are, dude, is dust in the wind. Here we are at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, which we're going to study for the entire month of July, and I'll just tell you right up front, I'm going to propose a homework for you that you read three chapters every week uh, and read them a lot, like several times, like with your coffee or whatever, or sitting in the coffee bar, or Starbucks or something like that. Get it up on your phone and read Ecclesiastes, and this week would be read the first three chapters, that's what I'd say. Get yourself into it because it's difficult to read, meaning it sounds like that. <laughs> and you'll be like, what? And you'll be going, oh, we're always dust in the wind, dude. And, um, and that's fine. But that's what we're after here. So consider whether or not you want to do this homework. The teacher here is Solomon, King Solomon. As an old man, Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes, summing up wisdom. As an old man, Solomon is assessing the world as he sees it, as he has seen it, It's all been done before. The sun rises, the sun sets. It rises again and it sets again. It just goes on and on. The wind blows to the north and it swings around to the south. And it does it again. The rivers flow to the sea, but the sea never fills up. And then the water returns to the mountaintops in the hydrological cycle. And it all begins again. He might as well have could, could have said, you know, hymn lines go up and hymn lines go back down again. Right? Uh, He could have said ties and lapels go from wide to narrow and back to narrow again, right? Wedding bands are platinum and silver, but they'll go back to gold someday. I don't know if they'll go back to the plastic rubber thing you guys are wearing, but whatever. You know, that's cool. Um, And then even some of our worst fears, Solomon could have said, will come back to haunt you again. Disco will make a comeback. That's true. Girls in monstrously monstrously large shoes will show up again. Massive shoes. I don't know where that came from. They're called Uggs, I think. Um, And yes, your worst fear will be realized someday. Male Capri pants. They will come back. Some guy's wearing them right now. He's like, oh man, I've got to get these things. Uh, Solomon is saying, what's been done, it's going to come back. I've seen it my whole life. There's nothing new under the sun. So this morning, we want to talk about, at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, that all-important question, Bill and Ted, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? This is where Solomon begins. This is where he's starting out in Ecclesiastes. What is the meaning of life? As a matter of fact, just right now, spontaneously, without any prep or research or reading or anything like that, just turn to the person next to you and say the meaning of life is and complete it. All right? Just do it now. Whatever comes out of your head, the meaning of life is go. That's right. There's going to be the snickers and the chuckles in the room. You know why? Because we are Americans living in the 21st century. And to tell you the truth, we don't really have a good answer when it comes to the meaning of life. We don't. What we come up with is like, as one young man told me, the meaning of life is fun is to have fun, all the fun you can have. That's the meaning of life. And actually, most people would say, like, that's pretty good. And you know what's really weird about the meaning of life, having fun? It's not far from what Solomon is suggesting. Like, really? I came to church for this? Let's see. Now, what you have to understand about Ecclesiastes is that you could say when you're reading it, when you, if you choose to read it, It sounds negative. It sounds a little um, 
cynical. And so you want to begin there, and it's okay, because where Solomon is going, he's going to examine all of life over and over, all the chapters of Ecclesiastes, but underlying it is this relentless hope. And that's why it's in the Bible. This is probably one of the most realistic books in the Bible. There's no varnish on this. It's telling it the way it is, and that's why people don't like to read it. Not only is it a little difficult to read, but it doesn't actually reinforce everything you want it to. So you have to sort of sift through it like dust in the wind. And you have to find the meaning of life in here, which is going to be something close to hope. And we'll get there here this morning. So here it is, the meaning of life. What is it? Okay, and how are we getting there? Some would say then the meaning of life, and if you said to each other, like, it's family, it's about the children, it's about raising the family, it's about getting married, it's about falling in love. If you said something like that, well, good. That was a pretty quick answer. You know, I mean, it's a pretty good answer for a quick moment. That's good. If you said it's all about pleasure, that's not a bad answer either. This is all very biblical. But here in Ecclesiastes, we're going to have this message here that says it's hope. So let's go through these three stages. This is pretty much the three stages that Solomon's going to go through in Ecclesiastes. The very first stage is the dreamer stage. When you're young, you are supposed to dream. You're supposed to dream big dreams. Around our house these days, it's a lot of talk about what college we're going to go to and what vocations we're going to have and things like that. Because I have teenagers in the house and their friends are in the house. And so that's, what, that's what's going on. Someday, I'm going to be this. Someday, I'm going to accomplish that. I have dreams. I have ideas. We have dreams, everyone, because we are relentless dreamers. We dream because we have hope. You, to be human is to hope. We have hope. That's what keeps us all going. To lose hope is called depression. <laughs> and it's not good. It destroys the human spirit. It ruins people. It'll ruin your health. And so when you're young... You begin to think, like, I could become famous. I could become Taylor Swift, the most popular person on the planet. Unless you're a guy, and then you might think, I don't want to be Taylor Swift, but that's okay. So we're all reckless dreamers in the beginning, and so you should be. I, I hope if you're in this stage these days, you don't lose the fire within. That fire that says, I want to dream big. I'm going to be something someday. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to change the planet. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put my thumbprint on this place before I'm out of here. That's God's creative fire inside of you saying, make a difference. You're important and you matter and the friends around you and your community and whatever system you're in, it matters. Okay? And we'll just say, God is not a dull, boring, you know, mean old chiseled out of rock sort of dude, you know, Socrates. God is alive. God is more hopeful than any of us. God is younger than all of us, I always say. It's God who's standing at the end of your bed every morning saying, what are we going to do today? As opposed to, I'm just an old guy, I'm going to sit here and get angry at you every time you do something wrong. That's nothing like what goes on in the Bible. It's not what Jesus said. But, but Solomon says, something happens, and it's a terrible thing that happens, People lose hope. Once vibrant, dream-filled men and women can spiral down. And I know a man, when he, was in, when he was 18 years old, 
signed up for the military, went to the army, got assigned to Germany when he was young. And he thought he was going to see the world and find himself and make a difference. But after standing guard in the snow and freezing temperatures and peeling potatoes for three years, he decided that wasn't his destiny and he wasn't fulfilled. So he said, I can't wait to get out of here and I'm going to go off into the desert and I'm going to find my treasure. I'm going to find my fortune. I'm going to become rich. I'm going to become this, this person who found all his treasure. But he didn't find his treasure and it didn't turn out like he expected when he went west. And after a failed love, and becoming consumed with a religious fanatic who took all of his money and made empty promises and turned him into a fundamentalist. In the second half of his life, he began to believe that everything was corrupt. The government was corrupt. The business world was corrupt. The church was corrupt. The opposite sex was corrupt. Career, vocation, work itself was bad. And he lost hope. And slowly over time, he turned into this calloused, calcified rock of a soul who began to live in anger and fear. Because you know what anger is inside of people, if you can think of an angry person? Anger wells up because you know something's wrong. Anger can actually be good. It tells you something's wrong. There's a bear. Oh, no, run away is a good idea. If you don't run away, you end up a little angry, at least for a few seconds from the bear. See, if you have anger inside of you, the problem is, is you know something's not right. At worst, though, you begin to blame everybody else. But what's really going on most of the time is there's a conflict inside of you. Things are not turning out the way I wanted them to. And it's everybody else's fault. (laughs) Not good. So he ended up angry, and he began to fear, and he began to take no chances because he believed everything was lost. And at the end of his life, in these days, he's an angry person, scared to death, cynical. What happens at this stage is you can default into the second stage Because in your growing years, you're supposed to be a builder. You're supposed to build a career. You're supposed to make a house. You're supposed to get a family. You're supposed to get something going. You're supposed to, you know, achieve something. You're supposed to be a builder. If it goes bad, you become a materialist. But in the beginning, it's all Minecraft. You know, you drop into the planet and you, everybody who's really old, Minecraft is a video game. And if you're really young, Minecraft is a video game. Uh, (laughs) You're supposed to run and build and do things and not fall in the lava and not get blown up by a creeper. But you're supposed to build. Build, 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 build. That's what life's all about. But if you become cynical, if, the, if, you, if your hopes get dashed, what happens is you start playing Monopoly. It's just king of the hill. We were at the lake this weekend and I watched the teenagers play king of the hill on the, on the tube. It's a weird game because if you win, the only way out is to get pulled off. That's like, you know, except Monopoly, at least you win and then everybody goes home and everybody else is kind of ticked off of you because you stole all their stuff. And they had to mortgage everything. But you're like, I won. But like King of the Hill on the tube, the problem is, is like when you're at the top, 
There's only one way to go, and that's down. Am I weird? Is this just me? <laughs> it's a lot more fun for me, by the way, trying to pull the other person off the tube. I'll just put it that way. Okay? That's, that's my life, so I like that. So you're either a builder, or if it goes wrong, you become a materialist. And folks, I got sort of a weird thing that goes on that I think goes on in our culture. Because there's this bizarre deal in materialism. And it has some sort of strange dynamic. I actually got this from a philosopher, a modern-day philosopher. There is a strange dynamic in our society in this 21st century. And consumerism it actually started in the 1930s with leisure time. And this is the result of leisure time. You go to Target. You get this cool gadget for your kitchen that's made out of plastic that organizes your stuff. And you buy it, and you bring it home to your kitchen, and you put it in your kitchen, and it looks cool, and it looks hip. Let's go with Ikea. Okay, you go to Ikea, not Target, because nobody goes to Target anymore. It's all Ikea. So you go to Ikea, you get the cool thing, you because know, Ikea is nothing but cool thing, you And you get it, and you put your stuff in there, and you kind of think, life is awesome. I'm completely satisfied until next weekend. And then you need to go back to Ikea and get something else. And it's a repeating, repeating cycle. We know it's a repeating cycle. We know we're buying this stuff and that it makes us happy for a little while and makes us feel fulfilled. But we know it's a chasing after the wind and we can't stop. It just goes on and on and on. Except when you get older, it gets bigger. V6, not V6, I got to have a V8, man. 17-inch wheels, I'm moving up to 19. Not just that sofa, only four people can fit on that sofa. I'm getting one where you can put the whole crowd on there, 19 people, (laughs) right? It just goes this way, and pretty soon you need a three-car garage, and on and on and on. We know it doesn't make us happy, but it makes us happy enough. And maybe that's what's going on with materialism. But you got to be careful because monopoly is a terrible game. (laughs) Life is all about. If your answer was something about security and having a bunch of stuff, that's a problem. If your answer was something about family, And making a home and living each day, that's a good answer. Jesus was brutal when it came to, you know, pointing out reality to people. He was not scared of anything. If you could say anything about Jesus, he was fearless. Absolutely brutal. And he once said this, Jesus once said, what good is it? For a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self. What if you got everything and you lost it for yourself? You know what? I think Jesus was quite familiar with Ecclesiastes. He knew Solomon's wisdom. He got that idea directly from Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, I got it all. I played Monopoly. I won. I have it all. And let me tell you, it's not what it's cracked up to be. Now, I know in our culture we say, well, let me have a try. And I'll tell you what I think. But that's not what's going on. In keeping with sort of Solomon's sort of negative outlook here at the beginning, you move to the third stage. And the third stage could be called regretful. 
because in older age, if it goes wrong, you become a person of regrets. I wished I would have. I wished I could have. I wished I would have gone out for sports. I wished I wouldn't have gone out for sports because I can't walk now. You know, whatever it might be, regret seems to settle in sometimes. What was it all for? Well, perhaps even the best, closest answer you can be say it was for somebody else. That'll keep you from regrets. Life is all about somebody else. It's a very Christian answer. It was always about somebody else. It was never about you. That's a good start. That's a good place to be. It was always about making a home. It was always about somebody else in this world. Somebody maybe you don't even know. But regrets will creep in. I remember hearing years and years ago, baseball legend Mickey Mantle from way back when. Mickey Mantle lived a hard life. Hard drinking, hard gambling. He was all that. Smoking, chewing, drinking. He's dying of liver failure related to his heavy drinking. And he says this. If I would have known this is all the longer I was going to live, I would have taken better care of myself. Well, no duh, Mickey. You know? I know how long you're all going to live. I know how long everybody in this room is going to live. Every one of us. You're going to live for eternity. You're going to live for eternity. That's how long you're going to live. And wisdom begins in understanding that you're going to live for eternity. You need not think that you're going to live for just 20 more years or, or 40 years, but 20,000, 200,000 eternity. That is a wise estimation of life. The meaning of life begins with understanding that you're in the hand of God and that life doesn't stop when you die as a mortal. You're going to live forever. So what you're investing in and the stuff you're doing now, it should be an investment with an internal perspective. And that's why all the stuff we talk about you know, all the material things that we begin to do. The reason why we all will end up somewhat even regretful, if not cynical, about material stuff and the junk you bought at Ikea is because it all gets pushed out to the curb. I was driving through the neighborhood this week, and I'd been reading Ecclesiastes this past week, and I'm driving through our neighborhood on trash day. You ever notice this? You drive through on trash day? You know there's pickers who come through your neighborhood, right? You know, and they pick up really good stuff because it's your stuff that you don't like anymore because now it's the wrong color. Ikea. And so you put it out at the curb. And so I saw one of those really cool lamps that I thought were really awesome with the multicolored glass globes and it kind of has the flexible thingies on it, you know. And it's got this, and people are like, I still got that in my living room. Like, okay, well, I mean, it's really neat looking. And, um, but it was sitting out at the curb because somebody else didn't think it was neat looking anymore, this light with all these colored globes on it, you know. That person once thought that was the most awesome lamp in the world, but not now. And out to the curb it goes. All the stuff that we think is so important goes to the curb. So get this. Even Bible translators have a problem misunderstanding and translating the Bible here. The most popular translation of the Bible from the 1970s, it's still the most popular, it's the most supported by the publisher, uh, Zondervan, is the New International Version, the NIV. Okay, It's a decidedly Lutheran translation, if that means anything to you. Maybe not, no big deal. But the NIV is the most popular. 
it's not exactly the most um, accurate. And so like Pastor Garrett uh, Leahy here, he likes the New Living Translation because it's a much more dynamic and it sounds and it's real easy to understand and he wants you guys to understand, so he'll use that. I've gone backwards and I'm going to a very academic translation, which is what I'm giving you today. It's the New Revised Standard from the 1980s. It's very, it's uh, not as easy to understand as the New Living Transla- Translation, the NLT, but they made this correction. They went back. The NIV, I'm telling you all this because the NIV translates this part here in Ecclesiastes as meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless, the NIV says. But the old translations and now newer translations are returning to the archaic word of vanity. Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. And you're like, we just don't use vanity unless you're reading the magazine cover, you know, a vanity magazine, or I guess that's still around. Right? But we don't use vanity in our normal, you know, language these days. Because it has a certain nuance to it. By meaningless, you walk away from this scripture, from Solomon's wisdom here, you walk out saying like, you mean pointless, right? Like life is pointless. Everything's pointless. There's no point to life. But that's not what vanity means, is it? Vanity has sort of like a a thing that says, look, in the end, all of your stuff gets put at the curb. It was all a vain chasing after the wind. It didn't really matter. And I think we can all kind of get that. Yeah, you know, the T-shirt that was cool three years ago, it's not anymore. So was that a vain T-shirt? Yes, it was. Okay, I'm good with that. Now, if the prices go up, you know, and now you're talking like a house, like that's a different deal. The expense gets too big. But vanity is interesting. Because all of your stuff will end up at the curb, at a garage sale, at the thrift store, right? And somebody else will come along and get it. That's what's going on. And that's what Solomon's trying to get at. Solomon does not mean that life is meaningless. He means to tell us that without God, you're just chasing your tail. Without this eternal perspective, life doesn't make sense. And you'll be resentful, cynical, and regretful as your junk gets put out to the curb. In an older time, meaning 10 years ago, at the end of your life, what you ended up with was a couple of photo albums. Believe me, both my parents are gone, and what I have all fits in a few boxes now in my basement that nobody ever looks at, most of them photos. Good grief, now we don't even have that. Next thing that happens is your phone gets dropped in the pool, and then all your photos are gone, or a new iOS update comes out, and there goes all your photos, or whatever happens to us, right? We need a therapy group for people who have lost all their photos on their phone, like, hi, I lost all my family photos. You didn't look at him anyway, I'm sorry. Um, it's a vain life, folks. It all gets pushed to the curb. So this brings us down to Solomon's big hint for the meaning of life. And we find it in the following passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, which is why I want you to read the first three chapters. You'll have to pick through it, though, so pick through it here with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, just a couple of verses. There is nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. Let's start over because that's the most important line. Important line. There is nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, says Solomon. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? 
There's that eternal perspective. For to the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and heaping, only only to give it to one who pleases God. This also is vanity, a chasing after the wind. In other words, all your stuff goes to somebody else, and then they can chase after the wind with your old stuff. You tracking what he's saying here? The single penetrating point about Solomon's word here is this. Enjoy the goodness that God has given you. Each day, everyone, is a gift of God. Each day is a gift of God. Live one day at a time. This is not, don't, do not construe this as saying be frivolous and like, woohoo, I don't care. That's not the point. The point is to say you value each day. Don't live vainly because it's already vain and won't matter if you try and gather too much. You tracking with this? This is a hard concept to get into our heads. But you enjoy the moment. So here we are on the brink of, if it's already started, I guess, of this, the American holiday week, right? And this week, we get double the fun, right? You get two weekends to enjoy everything. Twice the ability and opportunity to blow off all your fingers, okay? So don't do that. Come back next week and everybody do this. Okay, so, but of all weeks, this is the week where you want to think about enjoying life. If you grill out, if it's hot dogs, God help you. But if it's hot dogs, enjoy them. If it's a cantaloupe or a watermelon and it's really good, then you say to everybody, what more is there better in life than this watermelon right here in front of me? And your kids will look at you like you're an idiot and because you're just enjoying life. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Because you cantaloupe and watermelon pickers, you know what I'm thinking, right? You, you, get a, you get a bad cantaloupe or a bad watermelon, it, it feels like in your mouth like it fell on the sand, right? And it has that kind of gourdy kind of taste, you know, like, mm, this is not really, this is a vegetable, not a fruit. You know what I'm talking, see, everybody knows what I'm talking about, but you know what it's like when the cantaloupe texture is perfect or the watermelon flavor is just awesome. And you're like, I'm going to eat the whole thing. And you do with your hot dog and gunpowder wafting through your nose. See, it's a perfect week. And I'm not just trying to jump onto the American thing here, ideology. I'm saying... Basically, every week is this way for us in this day and age. To be hopeless is to become cynical about the whole thing. And in this political culture, wouldn't that be easy? No matter which side of the aisle you're on. So live each day and enjoy your cantaloupe and your watermelon and your hot dog. And say, this is good. And you look towards the sky, you know, not that God's up there, but you say, Isn't it good? The rain that came down today, you say, isn't it good? The rain will come and the rain will go. It's all a gift of God. You are a gift of God. Everybody around you and your family, even the ones you aren't going to invite to your stuff because you don't want to, they're a gift from God. All of this is a gift. 
this. And you're like, this is the wisdom of the Bible? Enjoy your cantaloupe? Yes. Yes. If you don't get it, you need to keep studying. You'll say, like, there should be something more in this Bible. There should be something more that I could shake out that says there's something more to life. There is. There's other people. You know, there's giving up your life for a greater cause, martyrdom. There are huge things out there. But don't miss the wisdom of Solomon where it says the meaning of life is enjoying every moment of the day. The, 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 the challenge becomes, are you aware of it? It's the consciousness that becomes important. Tracking with me? What you don't want to do is end up bitter and cynical or greedy and play Monopoly. Play Minecraft. Hmm. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. There's your greater cause. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. I think it's amazing that Jesus chose as his one sacrament for gathering everyone together, the Lord's table. He chose bread and wine. It's here for the moment, it's on your palate, and it's gone. He didn't choose like some statue that we could all probably have turned into an idol and turned it into, you know, bling and Chotsky stuff at, you know, your truck stop or whatever. He didn't do that. He chose bread and wine. He chose the most basic food in the world. The very thing that you can't live by alone, bread. Wine, the thing that he took water and turned it into. He chose food to symbolize his presence in your life. Why not on every meal and everything you do feel the presence of God? And so we do it symbolically here. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And by remembrance, he means his presence. Not just think about him remembering, but say, I remember you are here with me now. You are present. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's your eternal perspective. Jesus is coming. Would you stand with me? Because that's all I have. So let's end, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> let's end. Go ahead and stand. And let's end with our favorite blessing. And I, it's our favorite blessing because I just said so. And, uh, and I'm going with that whole strategy that if we just repeat it long enough, you'll say, like, this is our favorite. This is our favorite blessing. I just, I know that. I came up with that idea. And everybody in the room will say, I came up with that idea. So um, this is from the Celtic Daily Prayer Book. So the Celtic tradition, it's like a 1,000 years old. This isn't a 1,000 years old, but um, it comes from that tradition. So, you know, get your Scottish accent on when you do it. Everyone, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you, 
May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.